Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He had the seven girlfriends and it went down to three. And he said um, in the media, like, I thinned the herd. Mm. And I thought, how do people let him talk like that? Yeah. Don't say anything. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to Should I Delete That? I'm Em Clarkson. And I'm Daisy Grant. Hi, Daisy Grant. Hi. Full, full, full-time substitute co-host now. I know, I've bloody been promoted. We love it. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I'm good. It's... um. A disgusting day in Wales. Um, I keep trying to just like power on through and be positive about it, but it's it's not good. It's getting quite bad. Yeah, because you've emigrated. I've emigrated. You might not know she's emigrated. I have. She's, she's a, you're you're a Wales girly now. Boradar, everyone. Don't know what that means. I'm assuming a, it's a good Welsh. morning. I think love that. <laughs> um, do you have anything good, bad, or awkward for me? I've got a bunch. Um, what do you want to start with? Okay, probably the fact that I did the most awkward thing that's ever happened to a human being at any point. I've set feminism you back. You set feminism back? I can never set foot out the house again. And when the patriarchy is upheld till the end of time, it will be all my fault. So because I've got a stupid job, uh, I decided the other day, and you know the worst part is? The worst part is I didn't even use it, but I had an ad to shoot and I thought, this needs a leaf blower. This situation calls for a leaf blower. Sometimes in life, it just calls for a leaf blower. I was like, you know what's going to make this out better? It's going to be a leaf blower. I'm going to get a leaf blower. Alex called around to find a leaf blower and he found one in a place about 35 minutes away. I was like, right, that's too far. It's way too far. I literally don't have enough time. Like, I'm so overwhelmed, so busy all the time. Don't have enough hours in the day. Childcare time is finite. I've got to get everything done. But fuck it, I've committed to the leaf blower. I'm going to go and get it. Went to go and get the leaf blower. It took me 35 minutes to get there. Walked in. I was stressed. There was an air of chill in that building like nobody was rushing <laughs> nobody gave a shit i gave shit i was there with fifi photographer fifi we were having we, well we were rushing but we were having fun but we were rushing anyway together we arrived we walked in two ladies in an incredibly male dominated environment let's just call the spade a spade right there were three men in the waiting room one man came out holding the leaf blower in one hand and something else in the other hand he put both things on the floor. I step forward. This is my item. I'm ready. And one man looks at me, man A, looks at me and he went, have you had your training to use that? Man B behind me, quick as a flash, went, you can't say that, mate. I looked to man B and I'm like, thank you. And then he continues and he goes, of course she's had her training. You wouldn't ask her that if she were a man. Me and Fifi are like, air punch, okay, air punch. Yeah, okay, slay. king. Thank Love you, him. man B. Slay, slay, slay. Right. The, the 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 conversation continues. Payment is taken. It's time for us to leave. We step forward. Fifi picks up the leaf blower. I pick up what I can only assume is the leaf blower's charger. Together, we leave the room. Original man, <laughs> man who works in the shop, chases after me. Oi, what do you think you're doing? I had not picked up the leaf blower charger. I picked up man A's piece of rental equipment because clearly 
haven't had my leaf blower training, so I didn't know that leaf blowers are operated by petrol and don't need little charges. <laughs> oh, no. To add insult to injury, my card was declined because I no. got the final three numbers wrong. So I had to go back in in front of man A and man B. I say I. I begged Fifi to go back in on my behalf because yep. I couldn't look man B in the eye and tell him that I've ruined everything. I've ruined everything he will never stick up for a woman again and why should he he, sh- he probably won't yeah no. that's no he won't of course he won't because he'll be like right well one time i put my neck on the line for some fucking bimbo and i just want to say to man a i'm like look you were wrong you you were it what you did was what you did was discriminatory it was prejudiced and you were making assumptions based solely on my gender which is deeply problematic Unfortunately for me, on this one very specific occasion, you happen to be right. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that you can do it again. So yeah, that's that. I've ruined. I've ruined. I've ruined it. I know that if I was the same, I would have done the same thing as you. Of course, I would have. Well, he brought both instruments out together. He put them down next to each other. That one was a particular, conf- particularly confusing instance. I'd say. Uh, yes. It's not great. Anyway, I called an Addison Lee courier to take it back because I couldn't face returning the next day. And I'll never go again. Never again. I don't care if there are 40 million leaves on my doorstep. Literally, I don't care if I can't leave the house for leaves. I will never rent a leaf blower or any piece of equipment ever again. Nope. Equipment's done for you. Done. I I will hire nothing. I'm going to just stick to renting dresses because that's what my little girly brain desires. Okay, anything awkward? Can you make me feel better? Yeah. Well, I think I, I could make you feel better, I, uh, but it might also, <laughs> it was just really mortifying. I was, I went to yoga the other day. I've been really enjoying going to yoga. I've been going twice a week. I'm in a new place. So I'm like trying to make new friends and like yeah. do, doing my yoga and yeah, new friends, you know, really want to impress people. Like not trying to like do yoga because we're all on the mat. We're, it, the mat is our own space. You know, we're not looking at yeah. people, but at this particular moment, we we're all practicing crow. So my like, um, my yoga teacher is lovely because she really takes it back to basics because I don't know anything. So it's great. And, um, at this point, like we'd been going for probably like 40, 45 minutes or something. And then we'd all been having a little go at Crow and she was going around to everyone individually. And then she got to me and she was like, oh, you just need to, you can do it. Yeah. Just like lean forward. So basically I'm on my hands and my legs are resting on the back of my elbows and I'm leaning up, leaning up. And then I was suddenly like, I can do this. I'm doing it. I'm like, I'm flying. I'm in the air. I'm flying. And then I, I, I fell on my face. I fell on my face. Everyone was looking at me because we've been going for 45 minutes and everyone had had their turn at doing crow. So people were watching me. I fell directly on my face. My tooth cut into my lip because I fell on a, um, I fell on a block like a, <laughs> and then I immediately burst into tears because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm such a toddler. You know, when like you, a baby like gets, uh, hurts themselves and it goes, and they cry like that. That was me. I like hit yeah. my face, bam, pause. Ah! <laughs> and then we wept. And then basically what made it uh, add insult to injury. She then basically stopped the whole class to tell us about like why it was fine. You know, oh, and tried to make me feel better and did a whole thing, like a whole speech don't about it. And thing. I was like, oh my don't God, do don't move thing. on, move on, move on. No one look at me. No one look at me. Please, please, please stop, stop, stop. I'm never coming again. But you did go again. I did. You've been today. I've been today, but man, that was... Minus your two front teeth. <laughs> Minus my two front teeth. I love that you did that. And I love that you went back i'm so proud of you 
you know what is kind of cute, but also embarrassing. And I feel like you're going to be mortified on my behalf. Um, the next day, like, no, a couple of days later, we were doing the same kind of routine again. And it was, when I went, it was all different people in the class. Like I hadn't seen these people before. And every, on every mat, there was a cushion laid out that she put put You know when you go places and there are signs and there are like, it's like a ridiculous sign and you think something must have happened here for them to need to put that sign there. It's like, please, like I went to a hotel once and there was a pool and and there was a sign of the pool and it said, please don't go in the pool if you have diarrhea. And it's like, okay, look, clearly somebody got in the pool with diarrhea and shot themselves diarrhea poo all over the something's happened in the pool so they had to make the sign and now forever people will be going to that yoga class somewhere in the middle of wales going why there's cushions in here and she said like it's the she's like just for placebo and i was like it's not though is it it's It's for me who smashed her face daisy grant Grant, who smashed her face on the ground i'm gonna start calling you placebo now that's fine (laughs) rock on baby stunning anything good to swing us back around (gasps) yes i do have a good Maths Australia is starting again. All of my goods that. and bads and awkwards are just about TV, but you know, I'm I'm just obsessed. Maths Australia You're is starting girly. in a couple of weeks. I am a TV girly. Um, so me and Daisy are going to be doing our podcast again, and I can't wait to be doing doing that. the maths. Doing the maths. Can't wait to be doing it in like you know a few weeks' time. If you're a fan of Daisy Grant and a fan of Married at First Sight and think you probably would be a fan of Other Daisy, then that's the podcast for you. Go and Aww. check it out. Thanks, Em. That's so nice. Bit of promo. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so excited for that to start again. We need it. We Everyone needs Maths Australia. Just makes life better. Good for you. Can I have a good, please? Yes, my good is that because I'm an absolute tank, I ran my 5K in under half an hour. Really proud of myself. I'm running faster now than I ever did before I had a baby, and I'm really proud of myself for that. Because That's I just fucking feel, wicked. Yeah, I just feel like, fucking slay. Go me. Like, I'm feeling so strong. Even though I'm heavier, my body looks different. Like, it's hard. Like, I'm proving to myself that I am stronger than ever, and that just feels really empowering. So I'm very proud of myself. I'm well going to swing back around to a bad super quickly, um, because I just feel like I need to be honest about the fact that I am... Like, because I, I don't want any, like... Anyone watching, like, because I'm running a lot or whatever, and just being like, "Oh, that looks easy." Like, she's flat. It's not. It's not easy, Daisy. <laughs> you can see me today. I was crying just before we started recording because I'm so overwhelmed and I'm just so busy. And I feel like I say that all the time. And for reasons best known to myself, despite the fact I literally have no time, I've decided I want to knit a jumper. So I started knitting a jumper. I know. No, I started last not, night. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think this knitting is a really, really good idea for you. I think agree really until last night I fucked up and then I, I was at row 17 and then I had to go back and start again listen unfortunately that's the way it goes you I'm sorry but you know the bonnet I knitted for Arlo which was too big and will never fit her it will fit her the just amount of the amount 14. of times I had to go <laughs> 14 the amount of times I had to go back and start again okay that was, makes me feel better it was unreal like it's okay. it it's so hard but I think I think this is I think it's the perfect thing for you to be doing. I know you don't have time, but I think that kind of mindfulness is just perfect for you right I now. I hope so. Yeah, I really do. Evenings. I I am feeling like something has to give at some point on a serious note, jumper aside. Like I'm feeling, I don't know what will give and I don't know if ever, and I just don't know if this is just motherhood and you just always feel like you've never done enough and that there aren't enough hours in the day. 
Yeah. Maybe that's just that. Maybe I'll just, I'll settle into it. Is running helping? Like, it, apart from it, like having goals in it and stuff, is like that time when you're outside, like yours and it, does it feel good? Yeah, I think that like, maybe London Marathon might have been a little bit ambitious um, as a target. But yes, for the individual runs and Alex often sends me texts when I'm running being like, this is your time. This is the time for you. And that really helps like ground me. And it is really important. So I'm really loving it. Like, I'm really pleased that I've got that um because it does like it is really amazing but obviously it takes a physical toll it does mean that like the times when I'm not physically with Arlo I'm physically doing something even more tiring so it's just like it does mean that I don't actually get any physical rest like even if I get mental rest Mm -hmm. you saying just then like this is your time it's like it would be quite nice to have a time just to sit on my bum yeah I've forfeited that time in in like in exchange for London Marathon so like sometimes my best friend asked me that yesterday actually she was like do you think it might have been a bit much I was like no. Listen, I've I've known you for a while now, and I think if you weren't doing London Marathon, you'd be doing something else just as exhausting. There's nothing you'd be doing in replacement that would be calm. I think okay, that helps. You know that what helps. I mean? Like you, you're a go getter. You're just going to keep doing things, and like you know what? Go you. You're doing <laughs> it. Yeah, fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah. You'd be bits. you'd be doing something else anyway. That helps. That does help. Could have, would have, should have. Okay, that helps. Okay, <laughs> anything, anything good, uh, anything bad for me just before we get into our interview? I literally think it was just the walk I was just on. Um, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm trying to be really optimistic, and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling quite good in general. But there was sharp hail hitting me in the face, and my dog was looking at me like, "What have you done to me?" And he's really <laughs> upset right now. He's fallen asleep, but he was so upset with me. And you know when you can see the disappointed look in their eye, and it's just like, oh. Oh, I've done something bad. And I felt bad. I'm trying to make him happy. I was like, I'm trying I don't want to fucking be here either, man. I'm out on a where am I on a cliff? But one of us has to shit outside. So (laughs) anywho, we have an interview today that I am so excited about. I've gone for the first time hand solo, which has made me anxious and um, awkward. But I had Girl Alex's blessing, of course, for a very special reason. Crystal Hefner the widow of infamous playboy mogul Hugh Hefner was for one week and one week only she was in the UK and she took some time out of her incredibly busy schedule to come to the Should I Delete That Studio to talk to us about her new book. This conversation fascinated me and I adored Crystal and the book that she's written. I am so excited for you to hear it. Alex will be back next week with some of the interviews that we prepared before she went on mat leave, but we just had to get this in here because I know that you guys are going to love it as much as I did. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited. I was just saying before we started recording that I have devoured your book. I don't think I've ever listened to an audiobook so fast. Um... It is the most incredible story. You've told your story in your own words. It's gone to number one in America, which is incredible. I suspect it'll do the same here. And I will encourage all of our listeners to listen to it, and I'm sure they will, or to read it. But I would love to hear in in your words the kind of beginning of your story and the beginning that led you or how how you ended up at Playboy and you were 21 yeah. when you, I mean that is so young how did that happen because <laughs> my 21 and your 21 were very different 21 
When I was 21, I, I felt like I was so grown up, but now I'm 37 and I, I look back and I'm like, oh, I was such a baby. Yeah. I grew up, well, first in England. Yeah. I lived here until I was about eight. I moved to America with my parents, lost my accent, sadly. <laughs> and then I went to school in San Diego, which is about two hours south of Los Angeles. Yeah. And my dad passed away when I was 12. That was very hard. And after that, I felt like not a real family anymore, just like the leftover scraps of one. And that was very sad. And I think then I started to just make myself small to, to fit in. And my mom and I had no money and um, it was hard. It was a hard childhood. And I remember as I went into my teenage years, the seeing celebrities and they would be like uh, Pam Anderson, Jenny McCarthy, mm. Carmen Electra. I'm like, wow, these, these women are powerful and beautiful and I want to be just like them. So yeah. I started, you know, bleaching my hair and try, trying to achieve that look and got some attention, started doing some modeling things and met a girl modeling. And she asked me if I wanted to submit a photo to go to a party at the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. And that's how it started. I submitted a photo. I was really struck in the book, actually, when you talk about submitting that photo and how you had like such a case of imposter syndrome and didn't feel that you would get like that you instantly picked your flaws apart in that image as soon as you'd sent it and then I kind of you kind of tell how that insecurity I guess I was so insecure which is such a um, contradiction I suppose to how you how you must have presented yourself because obviously you are so beautiful and you were accepted immediately when they saw your image but it's it seems such a contradiction that you felt in yourself that you weren't good enough and that you wouldn't be accepted yeah I was very insecure when I went up to the mansion it was a case of imposter syndrome like me yeah how, yeah. how did I slip through the cracks and some of the most beautiful women I have ever met are the most insecure people yeah. I've ever met yeah and arriving at the mansion can you tell us, because like, it's such a cultural phenomenon in the head of so many people. We can picture it and like, I'm of an age where Playboy was everywhere throughout mm. my teen years. And I was kind of sh shocked when I was reading and it, and it got worse, actually, my kind of the... Um, it all kind of come crumbling down the facade of, and the, the yeah. glamour and whatever and throughout your story. But initially, when you say you were waiting in a garage with all these women to go up, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of not what you imagine. No, you couldn't just rock straight up to the Playboy Mansion. You had to go to a parking garage and you park there and you wait for these shuttle shuttle buses or shuttle, <laughs> shuttle vans. It's so formulaic when you say it like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just like busting in the girls. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy and... Yes, yeah, so I'm in my little French maid outfit. Just, you know, all the girls, they're all beautiful and we're all just cold and barely dressed waiting for the shuttle. At one point they said, oh, go home. Like the shuttles are all full and the party's full. I'm like, oh, where do I? Yeah, I'd have to drive two hours back home. So I'm like, I'm just waiting here to see. And sure enough, a shuttle comes up and we get on and wow. go to the Playboy Mansion. Oh my God. And <laughs> when you arrive, Hef comes down, Hugh Hefner comes down and you are selected by him to, yeah. to, to join him in his cabana. What was that like at 21? That must have been, if you were feeling out of your depth in the parking garage, how did you feel? I know. When I got into the party, it was incredible. And I was just walking around with my friend and we saw this wave of people come down and 
my friend said, oh, it must be Hugh Hefner. So we went over to where they were going and he went into the cabana and it's all roped off. Like, yeah. And so we're, my friend like pulled me to where the, the rope is and we just stood there. My friend's just like waving, waving. He looks over at her and then his gaze like falls on me. Yeah. And I did. I look back. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <Me>? Yeah. <laughs> and he just like, come here. And whatever half wants, half gets. So his security came over and you know, unclipped the rope and shuffled me in to sit next to half. And I feel like my soul left my body at that point. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, because you're, you're supposed to be on the outside and they're on the inside and now yeah, you're on yeah. the inside. And so I sat next to him and... The first thing I'm like, oh, what do I say? Yeah. <laughs> and so he asked me where I lived. I said, oh, I came from San Diego. And he asked me what I did. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, I'm not working. Like, I'm in school. <laughs> but thinking back, I'm like, oh, he probably likes that because I'm younger. So oh I said gosh. I was studying psychology at San Diego State. And he said he studied psychology at University of Illinois. And it kind of went like that. And he was magnetic and charming. And yeah. I just, I can't imagine because actually you, you tell in your in your story this kind of feeling of displacement that you had throughout your teens and kind of feeling that you weren't, I guess, good enough. Yeah. Um, and it's so interesting from mentioning before, like the cultural thing, looking at Playboy, you do see it as like, these are the perfect women. And it was like, I guess you were being given that seal of approval. Like, I, you're perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you have this feeling of feeling like you belong, like Hef put some like worthiness onto me. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he did dictate kind of the standard of beauty for a very, very long time in one way or another with the magazine and with the brand. So, yeah, I think about that a lot because he had a type. Yeah. So I'm like, did he push that onto the culture? Like, did he hurt things or help things? It's in, yeah. I've been really thinking about it since reading your book and about kind of the... I mean, the society that um, that held this situation in such high regard is actually nuts, thinking about the age gap. And, like, he was given legend status. Yeah, the media just loved him and supported him and put him on such, like, a big pedestal. Yeah. And I think back, I'm like, why? Why didn't they question this? Why didn't they see if the girls were happier, if it was all... You know, I was a low-hanging fruit. They were just mean to me, and yeah, and I was I, an easy target. Yeah, I really want to talk to you about the media treatment because I was really disappointed to hear in in the book like your experience, and and I'm obviously not surprised because it was a horrific time. But I think what I was really interested about as well is that when you say that you went and sat at the cabana for the first time, and it's all of this no questioning thing right he had his girlfriends at the time were twins yes and they were teenage twins yeah they had just turned 19 wow and he was 81 wow yeah yeah that's it's, it's so sad yeah like they're not doing well now they just no, got out of rehab that's disappointing. and they're having a hard time yeah so they were very very young i f i feel sorry for them yeah yeah, so the way that it worked was that he would have numerous girlfriends at one time. So you arrived that evening as a guest and it would work right that you would have guests to to the bedroom, but there would be girlfriends as well. And and at the time you were just a guest first, right? And the twins yes, were a girlfriend. Yeah, was... How did you go from being guest to girlfriend? He invited me to stay for the weekend after the party. Yeah. And after the weekend, I went back to San Diego 
And before I could think of how my life would continue after that experience, he called and left me a voice message asking if I wanted to move in. Wow. So I immediately, I was sure, like, I, I'm going to do this. Like, school yeah. will always be there. And I moved into the mansion to bedroom five. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is, like, incredibly flattering, as well as being, you know, with hindsight, it's like, this is mad. You're going to go and live with a man who... It's 81. Yeah, but it's so, it's at that time, like he was so iconic. And yeah. And I feel when I, when I have had heard of Half and Playboy, like he'd always been this like older figure, I guess. Yeah. I thought he was immortal. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was because in our lifetime, I guess he was always old, older. Yeah, yeah. So we never, we, I, you know, I guess we never saw him in his heyday in terms of age wise. Yeah. But he kind of lived like he was in his heyday forever right like that I mean yeah it's very strange it's mad so you moved into bedroom five how does that work like moving it's very strange (laughs) it's just such a bubble and it's Hef's world and so he's bedroom one and as you go down the hall there's two three four and then round the corner to the offices there's like five and six okay and then offices at the end and like okay I'm down here at this other end of the house and uh what what do I do to like be closer? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I feel like if I'm at the end, maybe I could be kicked out easily or something. Yeah, yeah, so. lost in first down. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, so I did think, what do I have to do? And I just started getting more into what Hef liked. Like, oh, he wants me to like be with him with all these old movies playing, and so I just ended up liking all the things he liked, mirroring his you know self importance back at him. Yeah. And started losing myself, I guess. Yeah. And I think and there was a quote in the book that really struck with me about was about how your kind of like view of womanhood had very much been submission. Yeah, you say being a woman meant submitting, keeping myself small. And I feel like that's such a tragic sentence in the sense that Playboy felt like it was such female empowerment and it felt like such sexual liberation to an extent in this kind of like it looked so happy and like these women were so confident. Yes. But you were feeling at that time so like you were submitting and and it kind of feels obvious now. But I guess at the time it, it wasn't like that at all. Um, yeah. That the, the disparity between how you felt and how you must have been perceived is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to submit. And I was... Gosh, emotionally abused, (laughs) financially abused, controlled, physically controlled. It's like he would tell me what to look like, what to wear, how to act. It was, yeah, it was Yeah, you talk about how how when you first got there, you you ate because they gave, they cooked amazing food for you. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I'm like, wow, it's like a restaurant style kitchen. There's like four chefs. I can order whatever I want at any time. Wow. Like, yeah, let's get some, like, you know, such American stuff, like grilled cheese and all (laughs) all those things, like hamburgers. And so I was eating all of that. And I got up to 134 pounds, which I don't know how many stone that is. Not very many. (laughs) And and yeah, and he like hit me on like the thigh, like, oh, somebody needs to tone up. Like, what is this? Like, wow. And so I went back down to, 115, which I I really want to know how many stone that is. Do you want to work it out? Yes, I would love that. I've got that. a calculator. <laughs> I, I'm like, spoiler, I don't think it's very many. He wants us, He wanted us to weigh like 115. Wow, that is so eight pounds. stone, mm. two pounds. That would be classed, I'm sure, as underweight for your height. Mm. That's mad. I mean, 
it, it, it again in in a post Me Too world, it does feel kind of obvious to to look at the situation and and see it for what it is. But at the time, like I say, it doesn't feel it didn't feel like that could possibly be happening, and it felt really empowering. But I mean, the um, freedom and liberty that you give up even by moving in, and you had curfew and you had an mm-hmm. allowance. Can you explain how the allowance worked? Every Friday, he would give a thousand dollars, and you had to go into his room and ask him for it. And he would have a little key and open, unlock a cabinet and take out these bills and count like one hundred, two hundred. Wow! And then he would like, stay. "Here you go." Like a real show. Yeah, it's like he gave us some money, but never enough to like be able to leave. So yeah. it, it was definite, definitely financial abuse. Yeah. As the years went on, I found ways to make my own money, but but yeah, it's it's hard. It's Playboy and the whole thing is supposed to be a place of freedom and yeah. expression. And I felt, you know, very trapped. Yeah. And you, and you were trapped because much later on when you did try to leave, you weren't, I, what, did, what was that, like, please detain her? Yeah, yeah. So we had gotten in an argument and very first one, I stood up for myself. I said, oh, I'm just going to go to the park and get some fresh air. And as I walk down the back gate, there's a security booth. They can see everything on the cameras and they probably could see that I was walking down to the back gate. And I'm like, oh, usually they they see me and open it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, she's trying to come out. And I heard Hefa come up on speakerphone and he said, oh, if Crystal tries to leave, detain her. Wow. And the gate didn't open. It's like, oh, I'm actually trapped. So I turned around and went back up to the house and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I need to leave. And then this time I'm going to, or next time I'm going to do it better <laughs> yeah 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 work out a plan to to do mm-hmm. it but he did have control of I mean your work because your work was playboy he didn't want us to work out outside of no and what was it like working as a playboy model does that did that feel empowering did any part of that kind of make you feel beautiful and like you'd made it and was there any of the glamour that you kind of thought there'd be no, oh. and, and I couldn't really do that either. He didn't let me work Playboy jobs. Really? Yeah. It, it, I did one during the day. It was like a golf tournament or something. Mm-hmm. And it basically is, they had they hire like two Playmates and then, you know, the rest were like girls of golf. They all did it for free. It's just a bunch of pervy guys that all pay a bunch of money to, you know, have beautiful girls as their like caddy and whatever. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. Like the kind of men that go to the, those things. Yeah, and you've described the parties that would happen on Sundays, right? And the panic attacks that you started getting yeah. after you'd been there for a little while. Yeah, because it was so fake. It's like, do men really think that women enjoy like having pillow fights and yeah. hula hooping and jumping on the trampoline and pushing each other? And you really had to do that? Yeah, pe- people did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the, the, yeah, the That was the vibe. Race, that yeah. was the vibe on Sunday. Oh, my God. It must have been exhausting. Like, what is happening? This place is crazy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. And I suppose as well that in that you were ranked with the other girls, you didn't really feel that you could make friends with them, right? If there was always this kind of element of competition or... Yeah, you couldn't yeah. tell anyone the truth. Yeah, so it's even harder to have a pillow fight with someone that you're not friends <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, they're like, a bit harder. Yeah. <laughs> Push them off the trampoline. But, yeah. Oh, it's like so you had the twins were primary, and you were you were number five. How did the climbing of the ranks go? <laughs> they were in like bedroom three or some or two, and wow. they shared a room together. Which is interesting. It is, yeah. And I just got closer to half. They were they loved to party and drink yeah. and smoke and all the things. And I didn't do any of that. And so I just became like this old lady with half. <laughs> do you know like what you what you wanted? Because it's it's like um and I guess again we have the language for it now, and it really feels like there's an element of, and it's really I'm sure common in situations of coercive abuse, emotional abuse, and financial, but that that you were um, purposefully trying to get closer to this person who was mistreating you. Were you aware of that? Like, what what was the kind of psychology of it at the time, or the reasoning at the time? Do you do you remember, or is it? I just, just yeah. The I mean, my inner voice would be like what are you doing this is weird like yeah. why are you part of this but I would just shove it down because you know everybody just loved Heft and praised him and his 70 staff members were just all like boss and he- you know Mr. Hefner and then the media yeah the media just praised him and loved him and always talked about him and people would pay him millions to do random things and he was just seen as an American icon. Yeah. Like a global icon. An icon, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, okay, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. If I'm not like that into it or if I'm unhappy, like there must be something wrong with me. So I need to just try and enjoy this. Really, I tried really yeah, hard. Oh my God. And it could, like, because actually what you're describing, what, what happened, it's not glamorous at all. In, and from that first night, you were invited to his bedroom mm. and there were other girls there. And it, it kind of, and this would happen, would it happen every night that, you'd, that there'd be this many women expected to have sex with him? It wasn't every night, maybe like once a week by the time I was there. Wow. I don't know if it was different for other people. Yeah. But I do, yeah. I mean, it was very, it's like the same thing every every time. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, like, he liked what he liked, right? You had to wear the same <laughs> clothes every time. And- yeah, the same clothes, the same, you know, music's playing, the same kind of porn he puts on the TV. And and I after a while, I'm like, this man, like, really has no idea how to please a woman. Which feels like the biggest irony. Yeah, it's like the biggest con of all time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Mr. Scamming sex. people. Yeah. <laughs> 
and you, you say at one point, and I'm sorry if you don't want to talk about it, but, but he would use, he'd insist on using baby oil yeah, gross, as right. lube and it would cause you all to get infections. Yeah, and that was giving people ovarian cancer eventually. Oh we found out that Johnson & Johnson specifics. Wow. So, yeah, so. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, and it's like, but there was just no um, prioritizing, like, female pleasure of any regard. But it doesn't even sound like he enjoyed it that much by the end. It really, yeah, I did think that <laughs> like, pretty often. Like, is he even enjoying this? I have yeah. no idea. Or is he just going through some weird motion? Like, did this used to be enjoyable for him at some point? Yeah. I have no idea. But thinking back, now that we have terms that we didn't have then or I didn't have, like, yeah. I didn't really know what a narcissist was. Yeah. You know? And now I do. And now it's talked about so much. So I thought, okay, that makes sense. Like, he didn't care how we felt. He didn't care if we were happy as long as he just gets what he wants. He, because he was so narcissistic, he just assumed, oh, that's what everyone else wants too. Yeah. And it's twisted and yeah. pretty terrible. And I suppose the girls kept coming, right? So he must. Yeah, they threw themselves at him yeah. all the time. And and sometimes I'm like, oh, what do you, <laughs> I am trying to do something or be with him. And the girls are just like, ah, I'm like, what do you want? Do you want to be a playmate or do you want to? So then they would start to ask, telling me what they wanted. Wow. Like, oh, you want, I want to be a girlfriend. No, there's no more spots. Sorry. Or like, I don't oh want to. Oh my God. Like, 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 you're like a recruiter. <laughs> yeah. I want to be a play playmate. Like, okay. Like, by that point, I could tell if it was going to be a yes or no, just based on who he chose. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll send her in for a test shoot. Like, it's going to be a no, but at least she doesn't have to, like, sleep with him to find out. Oh, God. So um, it, it, it felt like, that feels like you're kind of trying to protect them, like you were trying to protect the other girls that were coming bet, out. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just you talk in the book about um, one of Hugh Hefner's employees, Mary, who kind of facilitated a lot of, well, kind of ran kind of ran the show in terms of logistics. Yeah, she would kick out girls. She would, she loved it. Yeah. I didn't like her. So no. like Holly, Bridget, they're like, Mary, we love Mary. Mary was awful. Well, okay, I'm kind of pleased you said that because when I was reading it, I was like, this, this sounds like really dodgy. And I kind of wondered like, I don't know, because you can see how a narcissist kind of gets away with it or swept up in it or whatever and it's like you can kind of see that but for the people on the outside you know the people who are coming into and I know everybody's just doing their job but what she was doing was very um calculated I, I yeah yeah she did like she she thrived off of that the mansion and the drama especially yeah she thrived off of so it Mary ran what was her job title do you know she was half executive secretary yeah potentially that's her name but you know the girls would go to mary with all the problems and you know Hef doesn't want to be bothered with any of that and she she loved the drama yeah. she loved like pitting the girls against each other and then she would you know she had power to pick and choose people for parties for all kinds of things if she didn't want anyone around they wouldn't be there and so people had to kind of kiss up to mary and it was gross. Honestly, like she would do really strange things all the way down to like if someone would write Hef, a man, and they're like send pictures or something. They're kind of a little bit good looking. Like Hef doesn't care about that. But Mary was like, oh, this guy's kind of. So she would keep him on the list and invite her herself to like parties and wow. stuff. And I'm like, are they both narcissists? Like, I, I don't know. But <laughs> she was a harsh, tough lady. Yeah. And she pitted us all against each other. She played favorites. And it was very, very hard. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and I don't want to blame her as a woman because it's annoying that women get blamed for shitty men all the time. So I don't want to be like, God damn it, Mary. But I do feel a little bit like, yeah. did you not have any responsibility in a, you know, to protect these women? Did she not feel, but we can't answer that for yeah, her. Yeah, I, but... I think that she just got sucked in a little too far into the heft train. Mm. Just a little too too far. I think if she was alive now, like she would have a hopefully like different perspective yeah but yeah I would I would always wonder like why does she like leave it at, leave it at here like you get to go home yeah like, just leave it here but she would go home and invite a bunch of the girls to her house to play cards uh, and like yeah she wants to be yeah right there really in so you became primary girlfriend and in time you were not quite proposed to but you 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 ended up engaged how did that happen <sighs> He handed me a ring. Uh, Mary, actually, she she said she she said she brought me into her office and she said, "What type of ring do you like, or what type of like diamond?" Yeah, and I don't know anything about diamonds. I've never had any money, so like <laughs> uh, square. You know, I thought about like maybe I've seen a few and like square. They were sh- square shaped. So I said, "Oh, I like square." And then she goes, "Oh no, no, no! You like round because when the sun hits it, it sparkles more." Okay. So I'm like, okay, round. <laughs> Good idea, Mary. Yeah. And Hef gave me a ring on Christmas Eve and said, I hope it fits. And it was too big. Oh. But I had a ring and there were film crew and cameras and taking pictures. And I just thought, either I, I'm leaving yeah. or I'm staying here and marrying this person. And the film crew, because I hadn't realized as well, I don't think it maybe showed in the UK the same, but the show that you guys, that your life was filmed. I mean, you basically, by arriving at the mansion, you were in a reality show. Yes. And then you ended up in a specific reality show about your we- about your wedding. Yes. Which you were paid how much to do? It was like... <laughs> I overheard Hef saying that he was going to get $800,000. And he gave me a paper that was a talent release and with a $2,500 talent fee. And, and the whole it made show me, was about you. It made me feel totally useless and worthless and yeah, not enough. Well, fair enough. And that was the first time that you fought. Yeah. You fought with with Hugh. Yeah. And you left. Yeah. That was, well, that was when you couldn't leave. Yeah. Because you were detained. And then you did leave. Yeah. And then you came back. And I guess, like, this is something that, I'm really interested in how the reaction's been for you because when you read the book, it makes total sense that you went back. But I wonder how people were to you at that time because it was like you you did you kind of got out and you had a chance to be out and then you chose to go back again. Yes. And like, what was it? What was it that led you to make that choice? But also, how was the reaction internally and externally to to you doing that? Because it was a big public thing that you had left because you yeah skipped out on your wedding and then went back. Yeah, it was very public. And I, after being away for a year, I was in a another toxic relationship, yeah. which I talk about in the book. And after that, Mary had called me and said, "Oh, Hef uh, Hef misses you. It hasn't been the same. He's not happy here with his two girlfriends." <laughs> <laughs> and so things, I had a failed relationship. I had opened a lingerie store that 
yeah, like, well, I don't even like lingerie. Like, why, why do I have a store? And uh, that failed. And so I thought, okay, maybe my being at the mansion is my fate. Yeah. Like maybe that's where I meant to be. And I did have who I, who I felt was the love of my life in high school who passed away. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Greg was my soulmate and I've already had that in my life. So you know, maybe the mansion is supposed to be my path. Yeah. And maybe because I walked out and actually left Hef might respect me more the second round. Yeah. So I went back. And this is this is still at a time you have to remember when this is pre Me Too. This yeah. is when he's still being praised as like the king of everything yeah. in America. Yeah. And and he could do no wrong by anybody, which is blows my mind. I know. <laughs> so I'm like it's it, again it's the same where it's like, oh, I can be better or, you know, just quiet down your <laughs> inner voice and you know, try and be happier. Yeah. I was really shocked. Um you, you tell a story in the book about a press circuit that you'd done to promote the show, I think, before the wedding. And Chelsea Handler had made a really horrible joke uh, or dig at, at your expense about the fact that your dad had died and, and, and how your marriage to Hugh Hefner was the result of daddy issues. Yeah. And that... It, it it's such a horrible thing to hear from a, a woman to another woman, but it makes so much sense as to your view of yourself at that time and your view of Hugh at that time, given as the whole rhetoric around you was so misogynistic. I wonder how you feel now to the people that made those comments and made those jokes and treated you the way that you that, that they did. Do you have any... Are you still angry? Because I'm angry for you. Though. I feel angry now. Mm. Back then, I felt like, oh, I'm, I am really not enough. You know, I am really, you know, yeah. I don't fit in anywhere. And you just feel completely beaten down. Yeah. And Chelsea Handler, like, should have known better. Yeah. I'm surprised I'm surprised she hasn't got, got canceled, to be honest, because <laughs> she's done this to other people that I know. Yeah. And she's feeding into the toxic misogyny at that time. Yeah. But in ways I did too. Like I was posting social media where it's like bikini and the implants and the and contributing it in 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 ways I didn't realize. Yeah. So I hope that she's grown and learned from it. Yeah. But it it does make you feel very small. Yeah, of course. And um, and you talk about the surgery that you had when you were in the um, mansion as well, and you went in for a nose job. And they did liposuction yeah. just while you were there. Yeah, I think it's because they could add it to the Playboy bill. Half was paying for it. Wow. But I, I'm hard-pushed finding any blame for you, you know, in the, in the part you played in the, in the misogynistic cycle. You know, with, with the hindsight, maybe at the time it was easy. Like you say, the, the, the girls there were low-hanging fruit. But it, it does feel hard now to blame you for perpetuating it when... It was literally being forced on you. You know, the every the society had this preconception of who you were and you were being made that and moulded that by the environment that you were in. I think it's remarkable that you managed to get out at all and even more so that you've been able to tell the story. But I suppose we're in a completely different landscape now post Me Too. And I wonder, like, and we're jumping around a bit, but how you felt when that all happened... And did, was it that that made you reassess all of it? Yes. 
Partly that, yeah. yes, because I finally felt validated. I'm like, okay, like this is not because you brush it off as like, okay, this is how like men behave, or this is Hef's friends were like hug you too close, or just it. It was awful, yeah. and most most of the men at the mansion were disgusting. Yeah, and now like it made made sense. It made me feel validated. Like these people are just all gross perverts. They don't know how to respect people. And they don't know how to care about anybody. And it was just, it made me feel so much better Yeah, when that, that all came out. It made me feel sorry for everybody, but it also made me feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's such a unique situation that you've been in. But then in another way, it it isn't. You know, the standards that you were held to were the, were the they were the, the you were right in the the eye of the storm, but the storm did affect a generation of women, and and we've kind of all been held to this crazy standard. But I guess the way that you have is just, you know, the the pressure on you to look a certain way and behave a certain way. Do you are you completely liberated now, or do you still have this pressure? Um, when I first left I saw a therapist and you know your your value at the mansion gets tied to what you look like yeah and so it 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 got it was hard to really dig deep and figure that out internally but my therapist told me oh you know next next thing you do like make sure it has nothing to do with your looks yeah and you know and I'm older now and when I left the mansion I was 31 but yeah I flip houses I'm into real estate and I have properties in Hawaii and California and so everything I do like I like to add natural elements and things to homes and filter the water and the air and get all the reclaimed wood and um it's beautiful and it's creative and it's something that has nothing to do with what I look like and I think that that industry that's like based on looks is very very hard to be in so I I admire the women and men that are able to still do it but it took a toll (laughs) yeah I mean to leave the life you'd lived by 31 is huge and I guess we'd be remiss to not mention the fact that by the end you were caring for for Hugh Hefner you were his carer and I I wonder did you by the end did you love him was there a a, I don't I don't think I did I think it was hard for me to love him fully because I had so much resentment yeah. toward him. But in a, in a way, I still wanted to protect him. He wanted to be this person that's seen as larger than life. And I, I tried to make sure that he was that person until he died. Yeah. Um, I do think of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It's actually the movie I put on when he... You know, he kind of like lost consciousness. I couldn't tell if he was. And I put that movie on because it's colorful. At least if he can watch it, he he can see it. It's very colorful. But thinking back, I'm like, he was the wizard of, he was the wizard. He was the Wizard of Oz. He was the man behind the curtain. Yeah. That wanted everyone to think something much grander than what he really was. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) when you say in the, in the, in the book that, by I, I don't know I don't know what year it was, but your health got so bad, and they found that the mansion itself, and this feels like another horrible metaphor, but was <laughs> full of black mold. Yeah, and it's that feels like as well, like the the facade slipping by the end. And I wonder, and I, I suppose we can't speak to it, but 
do you think, how do you think Hugh would have reacted had he been here to see the Me Too movement and see it all be held up to him by a different mirror, not by the, you know, the mirrors that he'd put up all around his house. Do you think he would have been able to cope with it? I suppose. I don't think he would have been able to cope well. I think he would still be doing what he was doing, but just more quietly. Yeah. Because it's all he knew. Yeah. I just can't believe how public it was. And it's like, these parties were so glamorous. Yeah, and I've I've been watching some old interviews and some media I've done. I've like pulled some up of Hef speaking about everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, he had the seven girlfriends and it went down to three. And he said um, in the media, like, I thinned the herd. Mm. And I thought, how do people let him talk like that? And yeah. Don't say anything. Yeah. It's, it's just like, you know, people, people, when someone's abused, they say, you know, to the person being abused, like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't yeah. you leave? Why didn't you leave? And why don't you say to the person that's abusing, like, why are you abusing people? Why are you abusing people? Yeah. And has there been a lot of that since, since a bit, I'm interested actually in the reaction to the book, but have you had people say that to you? Well, if it was so bad, why did why did you stay? Or have people had the um, sense not to say that to you? <laughs> um, it's been a bit mixed. Yeah. And the people that are rude, I'm just like, come at me. Like, Do you really, that's so good that you feel that? <laughs> yeah, when I was about to go and pierce the other day, it was mixed when I tell people. Yeah. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm ready for him. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I saw on your Instagram, I was like, go and see Piers Morgan. I was like, oh God, I hope he's to <laughs> I was very ready. But uh, one of the first ones I did when I when I got here, um, he kept asking me, he's like, but, but why did you stay? And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I told him, I tried to explain, but why did you stay? And as we're speaking, I'm like, I don't think he's even read the book. No. So I, I, in in hindsight, I should have said, have you have you even read the book? Yeah. I'm really pleased that the public reaction generally has not, ha, has kind of afforded you the the nuance because it is a comp, it is so complicated for, for you. For, you've been in the most unique situation in the whole wide world. And I guess we could never, nobody could comment as to what they'd have done in your position, except probably the same thing. You know, if if we're all striving towards success and to be beautiful and to feel worthy. And I really felt like that in your book, like that was, and I think a lot of people will be able to connect with that, that you wanted to just feel this sense of belonging. And really for a beautiful model, there's nowhere more validating than Playboy. That's that's so true. And I've been getting so many incredible messages from women. Yeah. And that just m- makes me so happy. And like, if I can help people, like, that just makes me so happy. And um, not everyone, you know, went to the Playboy Mansion, but a lot of people have been in bad situations, abusive relationships, financially abusive relationships, emotionally, physically. And they yeah. just, they've been, it's been like an outpouring of like, thank yous from people. And it's just made it all worth it because your story is depressingly familiar in so many ways and it isn't it is incredibly unique but like you say so many people can feel connected to you and to what you went through I wonder in terms of and I'm I'm really pleased that you've had therapy and it's enabled you and empowered you to, to have this conversation but in order to 
kind of make your own validation and make your own um find your own worth and kind of put the people pleasing aside how has that journey been since since finishing all of this yeah I think I finally learned what boundaries were just a few years ago so good yeah like why I can just say no it's so nice (laughs) yeah it's when you people please you get very resentful because you spend all your time doing things for other people yeah you're like a martyr for other people and it's yeah and it's it's hard and if you know if you're not happy no one can be happy and so just doing things for yourself and doing things that you like and love it's very important and if people mistreat you like cut them off yeah like I've given yeah I was in two bad relationships after the mansion and it's a it's I was being manipulated and controlled. Same situation, except this time I'm paying the bills. I'm like, oh my God, this is going from bad to worse. But I've learned since then, and now I'm in a happy, healthy relationship. And yeah, if anything's less than nurturing, then just get get rid of it. Like, And I remember watching this video about this guy. He's a narcissist, and he tells people like from things from his perspective. And... People say, how do we avoid you? It's like, just don't put up with it. The like, As soon as you start, you try not to. Yeah. And now I have that tool. Yeah. I didn't before, but now I do. I can spot red flags, bad people, and it's one of the best things I've learned. <laughs> I'm so pleased. And you really do feel that in the book. And I think perhaps it's not what you set out to do. Perhaps you it was just a way of telling your story, but I think it, the reason that it's done so well and will continue to do so is because it is such an inspiring story because by the end, you know, you say at the end, you, you don't have your happy ending, but it does feel like you found yourself and you've come through it. And I think that will be such an inspiration to so many people who, like we say, can connect with your story on some level, whether it be through a relationship or through their quest for finding worthiness or finding beauty or the standards that we're all held to. And I just, well, I I loved it. And I'm so grateful that you came and had this conversation. And I would just love to end by asking, how did you find the confidence to do this? Because this is probably the (gasps) bravest thing I can think of. (laughs) Thank you. And I think for anybody who's listening, who's ever felt small, you've done something so big and you you felt so small and you've done something so big. How did you get from there to there? And how can anyone listen to the same? I saw a therapist and that was helpful. Uh, With therapy, I started writing lots of notes and those all turned to stories and that ended up turning into the book. But before then, uh, I started small. I remember starting a date again and uh, a matchmaker, someone sent me a a matchmaker to me and they said, oh, we'll make a profile for you. What do you like? And something simple as that, like, what do you like? I thought, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know what I like. I spent so much time just liking what other people liked or yeah. liking what one person liked. And uh, like, what do I like? Something so small. And I, and I thought, okay, I started traveling. I really like travel. I really like spending time with my dog. And, you know, I went to Hawaii. I really like Hawaii. I ended up buying a farm there. I really like being in nature. And I really like Disneyland. That's so random, but, you guys <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I put on my Mickey Mouse sweatshirt yeah. and, and uh, you know, the, 
so it's like, what do you like and how do you show it to the world? Mm. And you, so you find yourself that way. And that's a, it's a small step you can take, small steps, but they become bigger steps and you become more empowered. And when you know what you really like and love and do those things, life becomes better. And I think that's a small step it took for me. I, I love that. And I'm so, so grateful that you had this conversation with us. And I thank just can't you. thank you enough. Like it's it's blown Al, Alex and I's mind that you would come and talk to us. And I'm so happy to be here. And, oh, and you're, you're amazing. So this thank you. you make me cry. <laughs> um, we're going to leave the link to your book in the show notes. I have ne- I can, I have never recommended a book this highly. I just think you guys are going to absolutely love it. Um, and Crystal, thank you so much. We've thank just, you. You're just best thank you thank you so much for listening should i delete that it's part of the acast creator network acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend hi i'm jesse crookshank jesse crookshank i host the number one comedy podcast called phone a friend girl Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>